chapter 6 and verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. The title of the message tonight is Working to Please the Lord. Working to Please the Lord. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. Father, we thank you that we have a more sure word of prophecy whereunto we do well to take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. We thank you that we have all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And so we thank you, Father, that your word is relevant for every issue we face in life, even to the issue of employee-employers relationships and this subject of working and how we ought to conduct ourselves as your children in the workplace knowing that we are working we ought to be working to please the Lord in everything that we do we do pray in Jesus name amen you know I I believe that there's really nothing secular to a child of God you know, we used to have this mentality, and this, and this, I guess, comes from, and I think it came along with fundamentalism, that there are those in full-time Christian service, and everybody ought to go to Bible college to see if the Lord's leading them into full-time Christian service, and whatever happened to the Lord leading you to whatever you want to do in your church. But, you know, everybody need to go to Bible college and decide and find out. And, and, and everybody need to, you know, was pushed to go into full-time Christian service, they call it. Of course, they meant by that either being a pastor, an evangelist, or a missionary, or a Christian school teacher, or a church secretary, or something like that. But as I read the Bible, I don't find any Christians that aren't in full-time service. You know, we're Christians on Sunday, on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, and on Friday, and on Saturday, and Sunday too, again. We're all to be, we are all to be involved in the business, or we are, in the service of the Lord. You know, some of us may be involved in ministry things in particular. But all of us are in the Lord's ministry. You know, Ephesians, and we notice this in Ephesians chapter 4, and when he talks about in verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, when he's talking about the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, the work of the ministry he's talking about is the, the, the assembly. Not just, he's not saying, you know, the pastor for the work of the ministry. No, he's talking about the church for the work of the ministry. So everybody in the church is in the ministry. It's part of the ministry. That's the idea there. And, you know, apostles, prophets, and evangelists, and pastors, and teachers are to instruct those people in the ministry, the church in the ministry. So we're all in the Lord's service 
all the time. But as we think in particular, you know, you know, uh, as we, we consider this subject of working to please the Lord, as we think about working out in the world where we actually live most days of the week, uh, the Bible, again, has something to say about that. And, and he says, our work is as to the Lord. And so, you know, we need to work to please the Lord in everything that we do. A couple of little sayings I, I, I uh, remember. Uh, the, the only time success comes before work is in the dictionary. And the door to success swings on the hinges of opposition. But as we think about the, the word uh, or, the, or labor, I'm going to use the word labor tonight. Uh, first of all, work or labor is commanded. You notice in verses 5 through 8, again it says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. Now, of course, back in those days, you know, there was a lot of just plain slaves, more, more sense of forced labor. And, but, you know, Christianity didn't set out as a, you know, Paul didn't set out to abolish slavery. But Christian principles do undermine and change the slavery idea. Because the Bible teaches that all men are created equal. Um, but so we could, you know, to, to make it relevant for our day and time, we would say, employees, be obedient to your employers. They're your masters at the workplace. They're your authority at the workplace. According to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in signalness of your heart, as, as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill, doing service as the Lord and not to men. You know, God does, he has commanded us to labor, to work. You know, Genesis 3.19, immediately after the fall, Genesis 3.19 says, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. It's not, if you want to, you know, you can sweat and, you know, and, and, you know get some bread. No, you shall eat bread by the sweat of your face. In other words, you're going to have to work for it. You're going to work for it. Till thou return unto the ground, till you're dead. For out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Again, Exodus chapter 20, verse 9. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. And again in Ephesians 4, verse 28, it says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. So God here commands us that we're to work with our hands, not to steal. That's what welfare is. We're to work with our hands so we have the things that we need and that we can give to him that need us. So we have, we have two reasons. There's two reasons in the Bible for working. I'm one, to earn a living. To earn a living. So you can buy food and clothing and shelter. Those are the only things that are really necessary. Those are, those are needs. So to provide for yourself and to give. So we, we work so that we can live and we can give. So we can give. And, and again, we are commanded. And we are to work, do our work 
as to the Lord. Somebody says that as to the Lord means that all our work is really done unto the Lord, not unto man. Spurgeon said this, quote, Grace makes us servants of God while still we are the servants of men. It enables us to do the business of heaven while we are attending to the business of earth. It sanctifies the common duties of life by showing us how to perform them in the light of heaven. Unquote. So we're to do our work as if we're doing it to the Lord, because we are doing it to the Lord. He says we're to do it in singleness of heart. Singleness of heart. You know, that's kind of like this morning we were talking about an attitude change. It has to do with the heart. The word singleness means sincerity, mental honesty. Uh, so we're to, we're to be sincere in our work, honest in our work. Look at Titus for a moment, Titus chapter 2. Paul mentions this again in Titus, in Titus chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. He's talking about sound doctrine. And in verse 9 he says, Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not forlorning, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Now he said that they do not be forlorning. To forlorn means to divide. So it's the opposite of sincerity or singleness. It's to divide. Divide middle to set apart or separate for oneself is the idea of embezzling or withdrawing covertly. That word covertly means secretly or hidden. So withdrawing covertly and appropriate to one's own use. So really when it's the idea of when you're working, you're seeking your own interests under cover and you're undermining your employer. That's the idea. And so Paul says, not forlorning. You're not to do that. As a child of God, you're not to forlorn. No. You're to show all good fidelity. That word fidelity, of course, means faithfulness. Or one who can be relied on. You want to be relied on to work. To give an honest day's labor for the pay. To work as we're instructed. If you won't do what you're told and do it on your own way, you know, um, you know, some people have this idea, well, it's not mine, I don't care. If you're being paid and you don't do it right as instructed, you know, it could cost your money, your 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 boss or your employer money, and therefore you are cheating. Cheating is stealing. It's stealing. You know, when I was in high school, I, I got pretty good grades. And I paid attention to class. That's a lot of it. But anyway, I had a lot of people that wanted to cheat off me. And there were some students I helped, but I, I wouldn't allow them to cheat. I had a guy that, Joey was his name, and he... He was one of these cocky, arrogant guys, and he was a little bigger than me. I wasn't very big in school. If I'd see him now, I'd probably thump him. 
But anyway, uh, but you know, he 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 he's sitting across from me in a math test. I remember where we were sitting. It was it was uh, uh, Mrs. Hyman's class, and I had my arm up with my paper like this, and I was taking the test. Move your arm. Move your arm. You know, saying quietly. And he threatened me. But see, he wanted to cheat. No, he wanted to steal my answers. Cheating is stealing. It's stealing. No, we're to give an honest, we're to do our work sincerely with honesty, not purloining. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. We are to do it with our might. We are to do our work with our, the idea here is with our strength to the best of our ability. And Bob Jones Sr. used to say, it's a sin to do less than your best. Somebody has said, a man is not paid for having hands and head, but for using them. And it was said there was a sign at the entrance of a manufacturing plant reads, if you are like a wheelbarrow going no further than you are pushed, you need not apply here for work. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Now, we are commanded to work. We're commanded to work. So labor is commanded. Secondly, it is commended by the Lord. It is commended. It's a commendable thing. Notice again verse 8. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth. Now we're talking about your work. Knowing that whatsoever good any man thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. So labor here is commended by God and will be rewarded by God. Your good labor is rewarded by God. God commends it. You know, Psalmist said in Psalm 121 or 28, verses 1 and 2, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways, for thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Proverbs 10, 16. The labor of the righteous tendeth to life, the fruit of the wicked to sin. Proverbs 13, 11, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. Proverbs 14, 23, In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. Ecclesiastes 3, 13, And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of And you know, Paul in his writings, he would often commend people that labored with him. For example, in Romans 16, verse 6, he says, Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Then in verse 12, Salute Trophina and Trevosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved purpose, which, or purpose, Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Again, he's commended. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And according to this passage, our text here tonight, our work is labor for the Lord. Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, 
which you showed toward his name toward his name. See, God commends labor. It is commended by God. Somebody said, if you want your dreams to come true, don't oversleep. And nobody ever became the man of the hour by watching the clock. Go to, go to uh, Lamentations chapter 3 for a minute. Lamentations chapter 3. <clears throat> Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 27. It says, It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. So it's good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. I don't know if you remember or saw it. It was back in the summer or late spring. There was a guy in Massachusetts that was trying to sue his parents because they kicked him out of his house. He was very well bearded, as Brother Teal mentioned that the the anniversary service. He was very well bearded. He was 40 years old. And he didn't have a job. His parents kept telling him he needed to get out and get a job. They told him that for years. And he refused to do it. So finally they evicted him. Had the sheriff evict him to get him out of their house. And then he was suing his parents because they evicted him from his house. You know, from the stuff I read, we got a lot of 20, 20, 20, you know, early 20-year-old boys that are hanging around in their parents' basements playing video games, playing games. I remember when uh, year, quite a few years back, Mark Montgomery was here for our missions conference one year. And he had a daughter that was 26, I think, at the time. And I think Melinda and Andrew had just gotten married not too long before that. And he said, uh, where'd she meet him? I said, uh, an ambassador. He said, I said, so your daughter has nobody in mind? He said, no. You know, and she worked for the Bible, Bible Baptist translators in, in Texas. And they would go to foreign countries and they would teach nationals how to translate or, or, or about language skills. That's what she did, I think. Anyway, she said, he said, no, her and her friends, when they, when they go on these trips, they'll, they, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll talk about that, and they say, I wonder where all the guys are. Oh, they're probably in a basement somewhere going like this. You know, the Bible says here, it's good that a man should bear the yoke in his youth. You know, men need to learn to work while they're young. It's good. I despise much of the child labor laws. I was talking to a guy who, uh, soon after we moved into our house, he was an electrician out of Wilson, and um, 
Brantley was his last name. I'm trying to remember his first name. But anyway, he, he, he um, redid our service entrance to our house. And we got talking a little bit about um, your work and employees and, and what was allowed not and not allowed. And he said, he said, I'm not even supposed to allow anyone under 18 to use a power drill. I'm thinking, oh my soul, I'd be in jail if they knew what I made my kids do. <laughs> no, the Bible says it's good for a man should bear the yoke in his youth. And notice what it, the next verse says. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him, because he hath labored. He sits alone and keeps silence. Now, the word here, sits alone and keeps silence, it, the word alone means, has the idea of, of a fortified city standing alone. Now think of a fortified city standing alone. They're not afraid. They have confidence. They have assurance. They are fortified. They may be alone, but they, have for, they are fortified. They have power. They have strength. That's the idea here. Have that word alone. For example, Numbers 23.9 says this, For from the tops of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall not dwell alone, and shall not be reckoned among the nations. In other words, don't mess with Israel. Deuteronomy 32.12 says, So the Lord alone did lead him. There was no strange God with him. And then Psalm 4.8 says, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safely. You know, if you only have the Lord, you have all you need. And you can dress the sword and dwell in safety. So the idea here is when he says he, he bear the yokes in his youth, he, he'll sit alone. And not be fearful and afraid and insecure and uncertain. You have confidence. You have confidence. And he also keepeth silence. Again, it means to be still or content. Content. And again, at peace with oneself. Psalm 37, 7. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. So here the picture is, here's a, here's a guy who, who, who's, who's beholding the wicked, but he's not, he's not concerned about it. It doesn't unsettle him. Because he's resting in the Lord. He's got confidence in the Lord. Psalm 62.5 says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. Uh, Psalm 131, verse 2, Surely I behaved and quieted, and here's the, the keep us still, quieted myself. As a child that is weaned of his mother, my, my soul is even as a weaned child. What's a hungry baby like? A hungry baby is a fussy baby. But a fed baby is content. So 
it's good that they bear the yoke in their youth. You know, boys and girls need to learn to work. Need jobs. Things to do. Third thing we see here, laziness is condemned by God. Laziness is condemned by God. Go to Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Second Thessalonians. You know, growing up, you know, I guess I had a great advantage growing up on a farm. You know, it seemed like Dad always found things for us to do. But I can remember driving over through the valley in Amish country. And I would see Amish children sweeping a dirt driveway. Now you say, that's lunacy. No, it isn't. They were teaching their children to work. And I'm telling you something, they had nice driveways, even though they were gravel. And they kept them that way. Now, there were some Amish who didn't have nice driveways. There were some Amish who had run-down houses. And when they walked by you, you could smell them 10 feet away. They were lazy. And they had trouble. Uh, you know, they found things for them to do. Anyway, laziness is condemned. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. Now, what's Paul going to talk about here? He says, verse 7. For yourselves know ye how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Now Paul said, you know, you need to follow our example. You know how we behaved. He said, we work day and night to provide for ourselves. Not that we could not have asked. We had the right. You know, they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. He said, you're not to muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. So he said, we had the right to ask you to support us financially and provide for our needs. But we did not, to be an example to you, knowing that and teaching you that if any does not work, he should not. Like, this is such a serious matter with the Lord. It's a case for church discipline. Let's read on. Verse 11. For we hear there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. 
So he says, he's saying here is laziness is grounds for church discipline. Look at Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Again, Titus chapter 1, verse 10. For there are many unruler and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not, for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. The word slow bellies means lazy gluttons. You know, and, and there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, uh, a, a connection here between not working and busybodies. You know, a busybody just goes from house to house spreading tales. You know, as here he says they're subverting whole houses, teaching things that they ought not. You know, they don't have enough to do. The old saying is, idle hands are the devil's workshop. It's very true. So we, we can see clearly that laziness is condemned by God. It's condemned. In fact, I want you to notice some characteristics of a sluggard. Some characteristics of a sluggard. Go to the book of Proverbs. Book of Proverbs. Proverbs, and we're going to look at a lot of verses in Proverbs. Proverbs has a lot to say about this subject. And a sluggard is a lazy person. Uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. So, you know, a slothful person is not diligent, and he only does what he wants to do. And, and of course, he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. Uh, chapter 12 and verse 27. Chapter 12 and verse 27. The slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting, but the substance of a diligent man is precious. So we can see there that a slothful person is wasteful. You know, Americans are probably the most wasteful people on the earth because we have. I was, uh, I got a call one evening from a guy I knew. Actually, he used to come to church here. And he said, Pastor uh, Byler, I just shot two deer. And he said, I was wondering if you can come, help, come up and help me dress them out. I said, well, I warn you're a felon. You're not supposed to have a gun. And I said, if we get caught, I'm in trouble. I said, you shouldn't have shot the deer. Number two, he didn't have a license. I said, I'm sorry, but I can't help you. 
you know what we did for the year? Nothing. Never mind what I thought about doing to him. But anyway, um, it just went to waste. I would have liked to have had the deer, but I wasn't taking them in that situation. But again, it was just wasteful. Wasteful. He wastes time and opportunities. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 8, talks about the ant. He says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise, which having no guide, overseer or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou rise out of thy sleep? You know, so the sluggard wastes time and opportunities. He uses excuses to get out of work. Look at chapter 10 again and verse 4. He becometh poor. That, that's not the right verse. I'm sorry. Chapter 20 and verse 4. Chapter 20 and verse 4. Chapter 20 and verse 4. <clears throat> the slugger will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg in harvest and have nothing. Now, you know, a lot of farmers nowadays have, uh, have cabs on the tractors. There's some that still don't. But when I was growing up, when I was a kid, you know, here we go again. When I was a kid, we had no tra- we didn't have any tractors with cabs. And we did a lot of plowing in cold weather. I mean, we would put insulated, we put our long johns on and insulated coveralls on and a coat over that and big heavy gloves and we would plow. As long as the ground wasn't froze, you could plow. But it might be 35. You know, if we didn't, It had been difficult to get everything planted in time. But see, the slugger here says he won't plow by reason of the cold. Any difficulty excuses him out of work. Obstacles. Oh, that just, there's no way I can do that. You know, I had a child say one time, there's no way I can mow the whole yard with a push mower. You can. You mow this part today and that part tomorrow. I didn't say it had to be done in all in one day, but it can be done because I used to mow more than that with a push mower and pushed it uphill both ways, too. You know, <laughs> no, see, it, what it is is excuses. We look at a difficulty and we say we can't do it. Another excuse is fear. Look at Proverbs 22, verse 13. The slothful man say, saith, there is a lion without. I shall be slain in the streets. There's a lion out there. Really? That's just fear. Uh, lies as excuses. Proverbs 26, verse 13. The slothful man saith, there's a lion in the way. A lion is in the streets. Uh, again, that's just an excuse. Um, it, 
And of course, he also loves to sleep. As the door turneth, verse 14, as the door turneth upon his hinges, so doth a slothful man slothful upon his bed. Uh, he has many desires. A slothful man has many desires and plans and covets many things but will not work to attain those things. And thus is frustrated. Look at, look at Proverbs 21, verses 20, verse 25, 21, 25. It says, The desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. He coveteth greedy all day long, but the righteous giveth and spareth not. The sacrifice of the wicked is abomination. How much more when he bringeth it with a wicked hand? So he, 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 he desires things, but he will not work to attain them. He covets them. Somebody said, some people are so lazy that if their ship did come in, they would be too lazy to unload it. Of course, sluggard is a great waster. Look at, I'm cutting some of this out. Proverbs 18 Verse 9, it says, He also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. It's a great waster. Like the prodigal, wasting his father's living. Just wasting. You know, we're, we're to work. And we ought to consider, we ought to consider the ant. Your Bible tells us to consider the ant. Go back to chapter 6 again. Chapter 6. Consider the ant. The Lord says, consider the ant. Proverbs 6, 6. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Which having no guide, overseer or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. So the ant works without oversight. She is motivated. She has initiative. It's instinct for the ant. And we ought to be motivated. We ought to have initiative. We ought to look for things to do. That's a good employee when he looks for things to do. The ant works. The ant also works while there's opportunity. Look at uh, uh, verse uh, 8. Provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. Now, there's no food to be gathered in the winter. So while there's opportunity, the ant works. Puts all her effort into it. And the ant works without regard to what others are doing. Doesn't matter. You want to work as to the Lord, not as men pleasers. So we ought not to take into account whether anybody else is pulling their load or not. What's the damn Dave Ramsey has that saying that you work like so you'd stick out like a cow and field chickens or something like that? You know, that's the idea. Um, you know, we're to do our work as to the Lord. Uh, and something else we can say about the ant, she works without regard to her small size and insignificance. You know, think, how big is an ant? How much can an ant do? 
You know, those little weed critters, you know, we got, I got fire ants in our yard this summer. And I'm having a, a devil of a time getting rid of those things. You know, I, I, I probably go out twice a week and put poison on those little mounds that are starting. And, you know, maybe just two days, you go out and look around the yard, and you'll see another little mound starting somewhere. And, and just like overnight, that thing pops up. You know, I noticed the neighbor's yard right along the road there, that nice big house out in the front lawn. He's got two mounds that are about that tall that just appeared. It's those little wee red ants pushing all that dirt up. Think about it. Those little wee red ants pushing that dirt up. You know, sometimes we will look at, the, look at the work we're expected to do and we say, well, I can't do that. The ant doesn't say, I can't do that. She just starts. You know, just start at the beginning, and sooner or later you'll get to the end. The ant works because it's God's will for her to work, and we need to work because it's God's will for us to work. Um, laziness is costing the U.S. $27.8 billion. This was an article online in what's called Money. It says, physical inactivity is costing people a lot more than their slim fit genes. A report published Thursday by the Lancet of UK Medical Journal puts the number at 27 billion. $8 billion in the U.S. alone, with global figures reaching $67.5 billion. The study from 142 countries is the first ever to calculate just how much sloth is costing us. Bloomberg News reports, and the financial toll is the conservative estimate. The study took into account productivity losses, health care costs, and disability-adjusted life years of various conditions related to inactivity, coronary heart disease, stroke, type 2 diabetes, breast cancer, colon cancer, type 2 diabetes was the most expensive disease, accounting for 70% of all health care costs. According to Melody Ding, the leader, lead author of the study and a senior research fellow at the University of Sydney's School of Public Health, rich countries bear more responsibility for the economic cost of inactivity, while less wealthy nations bear a higher percentage of the disease burden. As Bloomberg put it, the most striking finding is not the actual number, it's the distribution of the economic burden across nations. Ding said, in wealthy countries, people pay with their pockets. In less wealthy countries, they're paying with their lives. The U.S. strikingly accounts for over 40% of the worldwide sloth costs. Laziness costing us, costing America, $27.8 billion. You see, as the children of, of the Lord, you know, our Lord worked. He learned to work in his dad's carpenter shop. And God expects us to work. He commands us to work. We're to be good stewards of what God has given us. And we are to labor with our hands. 
So we have to, to live and to give to those that need. And we ought to be known as people who can be relied upon. After all, our work will be judged by the Lord. Somebody has said that he who would leave footprints on the sands of time must wear work shoes. Teddy Roosevelt said this, quote, There's never yet been a man in our history who has led a life of ease whose name is worth remembering. So we remember our work will be judged. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3. <clears throat> it says now if any man verse 12 now if any man built upon this foundation of course the foundation is our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll build our life upon him and the Lord instructs us to work to, to be faithful in our work he says if any man built upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort of is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. You know, I believe the Lord is going to judge our work. Our work is to be as the Lord. As service to the Lord. And our text says that he's going to reward us for our work. And the world should be able to look at us and say, I can depend on that employee. They will give me an honest day's work. And they will do their best. I can trust them. You know, that is a honorable testimony in the workplace. In a world today that most people are there just to put their time in and get out as soon as they can and do as little as they possibly can. See, God commands us as employees, we're to do our work, I said to the Lord, as employers. We're also to be considerate of those who work for us, forbearing, threatening, knowing also that we have a, a master in heaven that we will give account to. And the employers are going to give accounts too. So if you are privileged to be a boss, consider your employees. Take care of your employees. After all, there's no respect of persons with the Lord. You know, we're all under his authority, and we're all commanded to please him in whatever we do. So might God help us to work as pleasing to the Lord.
Let's pray.